please turn with your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. His name, Nathan Handworker. The year was 1916, where the most popular place to go for recreation and for a family vacation prior to Disney World was Coney Island. And there was something new on Coney Island that had just been discovered, the Coney Dog. The birthplace of hot dogs, and the Coney dogs were selling for 10 cents. But Nathan Handworker wanted to open up uh, his own uh, uh, Coney dog stand, and he did so, but he was going to charge 5 cents. He was going to cut the price, but a funny thing happened. Nobody purchased his Coney dogs. They thought there was something uh, that must be wrong with them. There must be substandard meat. Or something like that. Well, a handworker, being a very bright businessman, walked across the street to the hospital, went to the doctor's lounge, and he gave free hot dogs to the doctors. And after getting their approval of how good they were, he said, Nathan Handworker said, I will give you guys a free hot dog every time you come over to my stand across the street, as long as you'll wear something identifying you as a doctor such as a lab coat or stethoscope or something like that. (laughs) And sure enough, it caught on. And pretty soon, the doctors liked those uh, uh, hot dogs, especially free ones, and uh, they'd come over almost every lunch hour, and people kind of started following the medical crowd, and Nathan's dogs caught on, and thus the birth of Nathan's famous hot dogs, the second largest hot dog manufacturer in the world today, only to Oscar Mayer. Nathan Handworker realized something that in the marketplace today uh, is called uh, uh, value attribution. Every few years there comes along a a saying or a word or something that is kind of new to kind of say some of the same old stuff, but I mean, you remember the word paradigm? Did anybody ever grow up with that word? Then all of a sudden it hit, right? And it was popular and we heard uh, paradigm all the time. Well, in the marketplace today, market researchers and consultants, they use the word value attribution. The more value we can attribute to a product or to something that we want to publicize, uh, the more value it will have. This morning, I want to use value attribution for the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. Let's read Ephesians 5, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. For as the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, 
that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. We think of the bride of Christ. We we hear about the bride of Christ being the church and Jesus is the groom. We know that and we hear that frequently from the pulpit or from a Bible study or we'll read about it. But let's try to uh, let's try to dramatize it just a little bit and let's pull some things from different places from the scriptures. This is more of a topical sermon from the scriptures that talk about we're the bride of Christ. And I want us to, to think about that as the church and Jesus as the groom. I also want us to look at the analogy between uh, an earthly husband and wife and, and run those uh, comparisons. But I also want each and every one of us, especially uh, you men, to put aside your testosterone for a few minutes and to realize that each and every one of us is a bride of Christ, the groom. Let's think of what that means. First of all, we are purchased by the groom. We're purchased by the, and it's a steep price. It's not $100 or $1,000. It's not uh, going over to the Far East and some livestock to purchase a, a bride for, uh, for someone. Nobody says that the groom, our groom, Jesus himself, he purchases us. The price is his life. He had to pay for us with his life. A very steep price. And as he purchases us, he, he sanctifies us. The word sanctify literally means to, to set apart. To set apart for holiness. Imagine that every single one of us, the, the, the groom, as he dies for us, as he purchases us, as he redeems us, he now sets us aside. Sets us aside for holiness. He wants us to be holy and pure. Spotless, without wrinkle, he says. Then it says he cherishes us. Oh, what bride doesn't want to be cherished? I want you to know that in uh, 30 years of doing weddings, there's one one universal truth in every single wedding I've ever done. That is that the bride and groom pay absolutely no attention to my homily. <laughs> and, uh, and there's so many times I especially challenge the groom to cherish his wife. Think of that word cherish. How every woman here wants to be cherished. And then we see in the bigger picture, every one of us, man and woman, wants to be cherished by the groom, by Jesus himself. He cherishes us. Then he says that he, um, we're to be surrendered to the groom. We're surrendered to the groom. When we come to Christ, we surrender under his lordship. We surrender our name. He now gives us a new name. We're called Christian. Christ in one, Christian. We surrender our, our headship. He becomes our head and our name. Now, in weddings today, 
there's the symbolism of the weddings today and Christian weddings uh, where the father uh, walks the daughter down the aisle and he gets to the front of the church and the uh, pastor says, who gives this bride to be married to this groom? Now, in the last 30 years, the church has been influenced by secular culture, primarily the woman's movement, and every dad now says, her mother and I. Now, there's not anything really wrong with that, but it used to be, and the symbolism is, that the father is walking the bride down to give her to the groom, to transfer his headship, the father's headship to the groom, to transfer his name, which the daughter bears, transfer his name to, his, uh, to the groom's. There's a transfer there. We are surrendered to the Christ, to the groom. And I don't mind when the father says, her mother and I do, I generally realize there's probably been some discussion on that that I don't want to know anything about. I, I, whenever they say that, I want to say, well, would you like for the mother to walk her down also, mother and father? They never want to do that. I don't know why. While I'm at weddings, let me tell you something else. <laughs> weddings have gotten so expensive. Our daughter got married a couple years ago, and I just, I just couldn't believe it. But I've got an idea how to save a lot of money. (laughs) Here's how to save money. Don't invite men. All right? We don't want to go to weddings. We don't like to mess up our Saturday. It messes up the game. We can't play golf. We can't mow the grass. We can't take a nap. A man should only have to go to two weddings, his own and his daughter's. Amen, men? Amen. All the men at my daughter's wedding, I, you know, I appreciate it, but I just kind of shook my head. I knew that they could think of other things to do. But then as the bride, we come under the umbrella of the groom. Think of the umbrella of the groom. The groom provides for us, protects us, leads us, comforts us. What bride doesn't want that? What woman doesn't want that? What man doesn't want that? We all want to be provided for, and that's what Jesus does. He provides for us. He protects us. He is our rock. He is our salvation. He leads us. He guides us. He comforts us. But then the bride messes up and she sins. And she's now stained. There's a stain. She is no longer pure and innocent. She's no longer perfectly holy. She's marred. Her perfection is obliterated. 
She needs to be cleansed. She needs to be cleansed by the groom. Oh, not another sacrifice, but she needs to flee back to the groom who died for her, for you, for me. What, what do we use to wash it away? If we're ever hands dirty, do we, do we just use soap? Do we, or is it strong soap? Do we need lava or, you know, a, a strong detergent? Or do we go to the dry cleaners or steam clean? How do we get clean? How do we get cleansed? Oh, the detergent is blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I don't, I don't like to talk about the blood of Jesus. I don't like to think about it. When I cut myself, I, I don't like to see my own blood. Do you? You don't like to see your own blood? You don't like to see blood of anybody else. But if you cut your finger, the first thing you do is you put it in your mouth, don't you? You taste your own blood. You know, there's only one reason that we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Only one reason. Because Jesus said, remember my death. His death. His blood. Oh, it's crackers and juice. And too often, I know that this is our pastor's burden that we not have the Lord's Supper once a month as just an add-on to a service. But that we really take it seriously. For the only detergent that can cleanse us as his child, as a member of his bride, as a child, your children disobey and you want them to, you know, be right with you again. We want to be right. We need to think of the blood of Jesus, my friends. We say, wait a minute. Chuck, this is a Presbyterian church. We're not a Baptist. We don't, we don't talk about the blood of Jesus like that. Remember my death. Jesus says, think of him on that cross. Think of his face. Picture that when you close your eyes this morning when you're partaking of these elements. His face, bloodstained. They put that crown on his head and uh, those long thorns, they didn't just set it there gently. They pushed it down. It would uh, puncture the skin. There'd be some blood dripping down. And, but then as you look at him, you, you see that that's not the only place blood is. It is back. He was scourged 39 times. There would be ribbons of skin hanging from him. Remember my death, he says. Oh, the nail prints, of course. My friends, only blood, only his blood can cleanse us. You know, I'm so glad we live on this side of the cross. I'm glad we live on this side of the cross. But I'm afraid that we take, I take, maybe you don't, I take my sin 
I'm just way too cavalier about it. My repentance is not what it should be. If we lived in the Old Testament, let's say, just hypothetically, let's say that uh, you lied. And, uh, well, well, it wasn't just, not just a lie, but you lied to your parents. All right, now we got a lie plus uh, the disrespect of the parents. Well, you know, we got a couple of sins there. And we look up, we go to the priest, and we look up and the Levitical law. And, and what is it? What is the penalty for lying to your parents? And you come down and again, hypothetically, he says, well, you have to uh, sacrifice two doves. Well, that doesn't seem too bad until you realize what has to happen first. You got to catch them. You got to catch them. I mean, can you imagine if you lied today and you had to go out and catch a couple of, of birds? I mean, you'd be, I mean, imagine you'd be going around, you'd be setting a trap, you'd be doing this and doing that. And under your breath, you would be saying, I'll never lie to my parents again. Then after we catch those doves, we've got to sacrifice them. And we've got to cut them. As we cut them, the blood and the innards, then we put them on the altar. And we strike a fire to them. And they say there's nothing worse than the stench of burning flesh. Jesus says, remember my death. Why was Jesus' death so awful? Because our sin is so awful. Why he didn't just take a bullet for us? Because our sin is so awful. And he says, as we remember his death, he says he wants us to to repent. Now, there are two parts of repentance. According to our shorter catechism. Repentance there is the plea for forgiveness. Oh, yes, we all know something of that, don't we? We plead to be forgiven for our sins. But the second part of that is there's a, there's a pledge, there is a promise of new obedience. We are to promise the Lord that, that we're not going to do it again. And you say, Chuck, how do we do that? We do it, we, we confess it, we plead for that forgiveness, which he grants immediately. His blood shed for that 2,000 years ago. But you have to say, oh, Lord, lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. You need to remember that once we come to Christ, we get the, the fruit of the Spirit. The ninth fruit mentioned is the fruit of self-control. Oh, Lord, forgive me of that sin. Oh, God, it's become a habit. My life, I am cavalier about my sin. Lord, I cannot stop. I need your Holy Spirit. I need you. I need that self-control. My friends, I want us this morning to spend a few minutes in repentance as we come to the table. There'll be silent prayer and I want... Each one of us 
to think of specific sins. To remember his death. And why he did it. To purify you. To sanctify you. And yet, we've messed up. We need to be cleansed. There'll be a list of sins on the screen. Most of us are guilty of several of them. I want us to spend some time you pleading for forgiveness, but also promising, promising a new obedience. Will you do that, my friends? That's why you're here this morning. That's why we celebrate his death. We celebrate that we can be cleansed. I want every single one of us, we walk out of here in a few minutes, to be cleansed, to have that blackboard that looks pretty bad right now, the blackboard of your heart, have it wiped clean. Some of you, most of you will probably do this. There will be some who... Uh, this just isn't for you. You might be a member. You might be a visitor. You might be a teenager. Then there's a warning for you in the scriptures. It's not just what I say. Galatians 6, 7 says, do not be deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatever a man sows, this he will also reap. May the groom himself be pleased with each one of us as we partake of the supper, as we remember his death. If you're not a Christian this morning, I must warn you that you're not to partake. You don't need to be embarrassed. Just pack, pass the elements to the next person. But you too think about Jesus dying on that cross. You think about asking him for forgiveness. Coming into your heart and your life. To become his child. To become his bride. May Jesus be pleased with each one of us here. In these next few moments. As we remember his death. As the elders come forward, I'll pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to come together to worship, to sing, to rejoice. But Lord, there's a time where we have to get serious about our own sin. Not just sin of yesteryear, Lord, but sin of this past week, this past month, many months. Oh God, I'm going to pray that as we um, remember the death of the groom, our spotless lamb, oh God, may your spirit penetrate each and every one of our hearts Bring to memory that sin, specific sin. That's those sinful patterns, Lord, that we've just accepted. Oh, Holy Spirit, move through us in a mighty way as we remember the death of Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.